Welcome to the weekly podcast at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church. My name is Doc Hollingsworth. I'm senior pastor of this great congregation, and we're delighted that you've joined us. Our prayer for you is that as you listen to this message, you might feel closer to God and closer to God's hope for you. The scripture today is from John, I mean James chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. Are any among you suffering? They should pray. Are any cheerful? They should sing songs of praise. Are any among you sick? They should call for the elders of the church and have them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of the faith, the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise them up. And anyone who has committed sins will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another, so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being like us, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth yielded its harvest. My brothers and sisters, If anyone among you wanders from the truth and is brought back by another, you should know that whoever brings back a sinner from wandering will save the sinner's soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Many of you know that I left the seminary classroom after 18 years at the McAfee School of Theology to come here as pastor. Eight years ago this month, I came to be your pastor, and I loved my time at the seminary, but I'll confess to you, there's this part of me that felt like I got out just in the nick of time. Because there was this ongoing debate going on around the faculty table about distance learning and online classes and even a totally distant seminary degree. And I wanted nothing to do with any of it. All of the faculty were being pushed into this cyber world of theological education. And even though I was one of the younger ones of faculty, hard to believe, but I was, Even though I was a younger one on the faculty, I was one of the holdouts. I agreed that some classes would be good online, church history, Greek, an elective on the Gospel of John, but not my area. I taught practical ministries. I didn't think that ought to be online, and certainly not pastoral care. Who wants their daughter to grow up in a church whose pastor learned pastoral care on the internet? Well, today, Mercer Seminary offers a full master's degree online, which means I got out just in time. 
I escaped to the church. The purity of church ministry where we didn't have to ask questions and have debates about online and virtual and hybrid. And yeah, the joke's on me, isn't it? So today I want to bring you inside my struggle about the future of the church and technology, but also inside the larger church debate about our inevitably hybrid future. You see, the question that's been kind of stirring and gnawing for a while for me is how do we, Second Ponstelian Baptist Church, live out an incarnational ministry in a flat-screen world. Well, I keep my toe in the water at the School of Theology. I, I still uh, supervise a couple of doctoral students. It's, it's a way for me to kind of keep up on, uh, on what's going on in scholarship, but it's also a way for me to invest still in people who are being formed for congregational life. And so one of, my, one of the two students I'm supervising right now has a clever angle in his project. You see, he's making the case that the Apostle Paul was our first model for a ministry of distance learning. And so he's saying that we might find an encouragement even for all of our cyber chaos and our e-ministry by looking at the life of Paul. His, his paper highlights that Paul's ministry was not in person, not face-to-face. Paul's scribbling away in a jail cell, and then his words made impact in a distant congregation. It's pretty clever. Well, as you might guess, he's younger than I am. I'm continuing to try to learn from younger colleagues who still look at me like I'm one of the guys on the progressive insurance commercial who turned into his parents. But I also know they're right. The church has got to find ways to redeem the technology, expand the reach of the gospel. These same debates were alive in the infancy of TV and radio. How do we use the available technology to expand the impact of our ministry beyond 2715 Peachtree Road? We can't pretend this isn't happening, that everything's just going back to normal. We can't put our head in the sand. But here's the other part of the tension. The ministry of Jesus was a ministry of presence and breath and eye contact and touch. Most of the ministry of Jesus included him putting his hands on someone. There's no social distancing in the ministry of Jesus. Nearly every time he healed, he touched. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. 
Jesus took him aside from the crowd by himself and put his fingers in his ears and after spitting, he touched his tongue with the saliva. Then he touched their eyes saying, it shall be done to you according to your faith. Jesus took the little children in his arms and began blessing them, laying his hands on them. There's been much recent conversation and attention given to the damage done by inappropriate touch. The Me Too movement has been at the center of a long overdue cultural conversation. And we are right to participate in any intervention, any education, any strike against the evils of inappropriate touch. But it's also worth noting that appropriate touch is identified with healing. I don't think it's incidental that Jesus touches people in the act of healing. So what are we to do? Our primary scripture for today, Anne-Marie read earlier, is from the book of James, a book of just straightforward advice to the Christian community. James is, is kind of a manual of sorts, instructions on how to build a community that's unlike the world. If Christ followers, followers are the called out ones, the peculiar people, what does it look like day to day just in the practice of it? What do you do when somebody's suffering? What do you do if he or she is cheerful? How do we treat the sick? How do we handle our sins? How do we handle the sins of other people? Just practical advice. Let's look at part of this passage more closely, and we'll see that it looks a lot like the ministry of Jesus. Are any among you suffering? They should pray. Are any cheerful? They should sing songs of praise. Are any among you sick? They should call for the elders of the church. Have them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of the faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise them up. And anyone who has committed sins will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Here's the messy in each other's business, not socially distanced part of this package. We're not just urged to pray for each other at a distance, not just at Wednesday night church. And by the way, that would have been what would have been expected in this passage in its time. Remember, the Jewish culture, part of the heritage of the first Christian church, sick people are unclean. You would, you would expect James to make a call from, for prayer, but from a safe distance, right? Not a, not a summons to show up. And that's the word here in Greek, summon. Summon the elders. Come here. 
right now. Show up. Summon the elders of the church. Have them go right in there to the sick bed. Get all up in their space and pray over them. Anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. It's not distance. It's right up here. By the way, a little aside, um, oil was widely used for medicinal purposes in the Greco-Roman world. So this passage is not a stiff arm to medicine. There's no gap here. This is an integration of prayer and the best known health practices of the day. It's not either or. Physical and spiritual healing together. But touch is not the only way we enter into each other's space, is it? Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another so that you may be healed. We're called to enter the sacred space of each other's story to hear each other's disappointments and dreams deferred, to confess to each other, to hold each other accountable to God-inspired dreams, to risk the vulnerability of the soul that is so central to us being tied together in community. This is even harder, isn't it? We're not nearly as reluctant to request prayer for our upcoming bladder surgery. But to hold each other's sin, to let someone see my betrayal, to pray with me for strength to live in the light after I have confessed to them the chapters I have written in darkness. Are you feeling the tension with me? Right now, the virus, the Delta variant, is requiring us to stay distant from each other in order to save our lives. Our masks and our social distancing are saving us right now because for now, touch is putting us in danger. And yet we know that touch is also what saves us. It's incarnation. It's community. Praying over the sick. Singing songs of praise with the cheerful. Anointing and confessing. These are the high-touch practices of community that heals us. Well, I mentioned earlier that James is a, is a book that's just straightforward, a kind of practical manual of living in community. So I'm, I'm going to borrow from his style for just a moment and say a practical word about where I think this tension might be taking us. The implications for this congregation that meets at the corner of Peachtree and East Wesley. 
First of all, my hat is off to the Apostle Paul, whose ministry was primarily one of distance. We're going to learn from this model. We're going to continue to grow in understanding about how to be a ministry of reach. We've already invested in technology. We've got digital cameras all over the place for worship. We've invested in equipment for hybrid Sunday school to take place. Wednesday night is going to start back soon in person, but it will be both and. It's going to be live and on Zoom. We're going to continue to expand this ministry. We've been tracking it. And did you know that for everybody in this room right now, there are nearly two other people watching this online? I've gotten emails and notes from many people joining us who are having meaningful worship experiences and can't be in this room. So our challenge in this new digital world is how to think of that congregation as our congregation, not a secondary group, but one of us. How do we include the larger remote congregation in the mission and witness and community of Second Ponds? Let me tell you a change I've already had to make. Before COVID, uh, I was pretty insistent that this worship service was happening in here and the cameras could overlook it. I preached to this room and I said, cameras can catch anything they want to catch and broadcast it. But this experience, I was insistent, was right here, the worshiping moment for us. And I've changed. I recognize that two-thirds of us are not in this room. And now, even as I make eye contact around to you all, I'm also looking up there, trying to acknowledge that everybody is included, everybody is a part of this experience. We still got work to do. I still don't fully understand how we're going to bring a larger worshiping community into other parts of what it means to be a church. We've got to still stay with each other asking that question. But, but another place where we have work to do is moving back toward one another in community. For a year and a half, we've been told that nearness is a danger. Six feet apart, social distance. And it's right. It's right that we follow the science. But we weren't made for social distancing. When the pandemic wanes and closeness is no longer a threat, we're going to have to reclaim the patterns of intimacy that are appropriate to community. And if we do it right, it will offer healing. I I think I've told this story before. 
But years ago, I was serving a church as interim pastor. I'd been there a couple of months maybe, and I was standing at the door greeting people as they were leaving, shaking hands, making small talk. An older woman of the church, a widow, uh, hugged me at the door like she always did. She took a step or two and turned back around and said, I hope you don't mind that I hug you every Sunday. And I said, of course not. She said, you see, if I don't get a hug on Sunday, I don't get a hug all week. Church is my only source of hugs. I'm not overstating for effect. The closeness of community heals us. James said the power of faith will save the sick. The Lord will raise them up. And anyone who has committed sins will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Jesus touches in the miracle of healing, and we have got to come back to hold and heal each other when that day comes that we can do it safely. And when that day comes, we'll meet for lunch. We'll cry together in my office. And we'll bake cakes and deliver them in person. And we'll... We'll keep each other's children, take each other to doctor's appointments, and yell at each other, and then forgive. We're going to pick up toddlers and look them in the eye and tell them that they're special and wonderful, and that just seeing them makes us happy and makes us a better church. We'll argue in church meetings and then guy hug in the parking lot. We'll confess our weaknesses to the people we trust the most. And when we do, in that holy moment, they will be transformed from a buddy to a family member. And we'll see each other in the hospital, no makeup on, and hold a warm hand and pray. And we will rock each other's babies and hold each other in grief, and we will be healed. Because in the touch of community, Jesus has modeled for us that healing happens, and we will be that kind of church. And if you need that kind of church, we invite you to come be a part of this kind of church with us where we're committed to each other and the gospel. So in here or in the room, in the room or online, if you're looking for a place to belong, a place where Christ has knitted us together in this kind of shared experience, and get in touch with one of our ministers this week. Reach out. We'll begin the conversation. 
and hopefully soon invite more and more of us to be a part of what we're doing here that soon will involve touching each other again. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Ponstelian Baptist Church.